Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. I want to recap for you what you didn't get to hear if you missed it. Luke eleven thirty three through 36 says this, because this is our main text for the whole series. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, have no part dark. It will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. What we discovered last week is that there were six different meanings to this word light. In fact, almost each one of these words, light or lamp, is a different understanding of the word light. And so I'm not going to do it all over again, but we went through each word and we found out what each word meant. And we found out how important each word was. And it all describes something very important. But what we're going to quickly recap is that the word light also means the word rays or spectrums. And spectrums was defined as a band of colors. Okay, remember that. A band of colors as seen in a rainbow produced by separation of the components of light by the different degrees of refraction according to wavelength. You got it? Okay. Throw up that picture because we didn't have it last time. I was pointing it at it. Okay, look, there's the spectrum. This is interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? The rainbow is spectrum. The rainbow is light. Anybody ever noticed that when the light hits a certain way, the spectrums fly in and they're all different colors. Light is not singularly one color. Okay? So when the Bible is literally talking about the light that is in you, he's talking about this. (laughs) All right, let's keep going. The enlightenment of the body is based on your eye. That's what we learned. The enlightenment of the body, how you see things. In other words, the eye is not your physical eye. The eye is your what? Your perspective, right? How you see things, how you see the world, how you view God. We talked about A.W. Tozer and how he said the most important thing you can do as a Christian is to view God rightly. Not religion, not Christianity, not Western theology, not Arminianism, not Calvinism, not Lutheranism. God, the most important thing we can do is to view God rightly, okay? If we can't have the right perspective, our eye will be off. We will not be healthy. We will not be whole spiritually. Are you following me? So seeing rightly determines your lifestyle. And I'm not just talking about where you live, how much money you make, your job, your social status. No, no, no. Your lifestyle 
what you put your attention on, what you put your focus on, where your heart is. Your lifestyle is more than what you do for a living. It's who you are. Your lifestyle is what is priority to you, what is important. I posted something that I thought it was just really simple and generic and elementary on Facebook, and it starts a fight. I don't understand. And it was just very simple. It said, hey, listen, if you, if you make church a priority, your kids will make church a priority when you grow up, right? It was something like that, just very simple. And somebody says, well, you know, Christ-centered is different from being church-centered. I'm like, okay. It's like people have to find a way to justify the fact that they don't make church a priority. And so when you just slightly hint at it, it's like they feel convicted. I'm like, I ain't even talking to you, bro. I'm talking to parents. You don't have kids. Wake up. But no, it offended him. And I'm like, okay, you really need to go read your Bible. Because it's really hard to be Christ-centered unless you make church a priority. Because you don't learn how to be Christ-centered unless you learn from a community of Christ-centered people. How many of you that are Christ-centered in this house learned from a community-minded grandma, father, mother, teacher, pastor who told you the body is important? Right. And so it's about lifestyle. It's about perspective. If your perspective is off, your lifestyle is off. If your perspective is unhealthy, if you don't view God, if you don't view his body the way he views it, your perspective is unhealthy. Your eye is bad. Therefore, your whole body is bad. Are you following me yet? Boom. Your perspective needs to be made whole. If you still have a perspective that is performance-based, right? We talked about this. If your perspective is still like, I have to measure up for God to love me. If that's your, still your perspective, that's religion. That, and if that's your perspective, that religious focus takes your eye actually off of Jesus, which is what makes your wholeness, your whole being in a bad state. If you're feeling unhealthy spiritually, you have to change your perspective. You have to change how you view God. You have to change not just what you're looking at physically. Yes, that matters, but I'm talking about what you look at spiritually. Here's, here's the thing. And I didn't say this last week, but I'm throwing it in. It's this idea that I heard long ago. It's called fruit versus root. Follow that. Fruit versus root. Okay? And what that simply means is that it's not just about disciplining what you do or what you look at, but rather having a conversion in your perspective. Here's why. Because if you try to discipline yourself without a conversion of your internal perspective, you will just create perpetual futility. You will create perpetual bankruptcy. Because you're trying to discipline yourself to do something that only internally you have to do. If you try to subject your body your mind, your physical nature, your emotions to bend to something that is, quote unquote, the right thing to do without converting who you actually are, 
you will always be in a perpetual cycle of falling. Okay. What did we learn that darkness was? Sin. Sin is the darkness, right? I love that sound. (laughs) Everybody's like, "Ah." no, I love that sound. Sin is the darkness. And what do we learn about darkness? Yes, we know that there are a lot of dark things in the world. There's a lot of emptiness in the world. There's a lot of hate, a lot of anger, a lot of rage in the world. But all of that is a result of sin. It's the whole idea of fruit versus root. That's, that's the fruit. That's the fruit. That's the byproduct. That's the end result. The root is the darkness. The root is the sin. The root is the separation from the love of God. What did we learn darkness was? Darkness is to stand face to face with the perfect love of God and argue with him about why he loves you. That's darkness. That you would stand in in his presence and still argue that you're not valuable enough to him. Why would he love you at all? That somehow... You don't matter that much. That's darkness. To stand in the presence of the one who gave his life to save you and still think that you don't matter. That's darkness. That's the lie. That's the lie. And that's the root. You follow me? That's the root. If your perspective is not bright. It is because your perspective is dark, which means that you don't know how loved you are. And I really wish I had the words to articulate how loved you are. Because if you ever get the revelation of that, it changes everything about you it changes how you see everything it changes how you see people it changes how you see your family how you see your neighbors how you see the people at work how you see yourself it changes your perspective you can try and discipline yourself all you want into being a good person you will always end up in a cycle until you change your perspective The light is supposed to deal with the darkness in you. And it's supposed to deal with the darkness in the person next to you. This is what John 8, 12 says. This is what we read. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. That word was false, right? The Greek word was false, which meant brilliance. It meant luminous. It meant amazing. All these things, right? I am the light of the world. Follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want the light of life in me. Right? I want to dwell in the light of life, the light of the world. Jesus was claiming here that he was the exclusive source of spiritual light. He's it. There is no other. There is nothing that compares. There is no other religion, no other God, no other entity, no drug that can give you the light of life. 
He is the exclusive source of spiritual light. In Matthew 5.13, though, he turns the tables and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its taste. How shall it be, how the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. Same word, phos, that Greek word, phos, means you are the brilliance. And what was the other word? Fire. You are the fire of the world. You are are what makes things keep moving. So first he says, I am the light of the world. Then he turns around and says, you are the light of the world. But if our eye is bad, if our perspective is off, if we don't see ourselves as the light of the world, how then can we shine? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Can someone say amen? So what am I saying here? It might surprise you, but what all this means is that if you have the right perspective, you, you, if you have the right perspective, it impacts the amount of light that this body experiences. You see, you might just think, oh, I'm nobody. I just go to church, I walk in, I walk out. I don't play a big role. I'm not that important. I just serve the coffee. I just take out the trash. I just say hi to people. No, no, no. no. See, if you don't have the right perspective, then you can't impact the person next to you, and they won't have the right perspective. And the amount of light that we experience is determined by your perspective. That's why the body is called the body. How does the light get to my shoeless toes? If my eyes are dark, can't. See, we're a body. This is the body of Christ. The Bible says that there are parts to everybody, the hands, the feet, the eyes, the head, the legs, the arms, all these things. We are different but important equally. We are all playing a part, all playing a role. But if one part of us is dark, then it's all dark. Are you following me yet? If you don't see rightly, how then can your neighbor see rightly? If you aren't experiencing that light, that love, how then can your neighbor experience that light and that love? If we're a body, we're a family. And if we're a family, we're supposed to be on the same path, going the same direction. We we call it the same thing all the time. We're like a football team, right? We run the same play at the same time. Can't. Do your own thing. You have to follow the light. 
I want to read something. It's Genesis 37. How do you remember Joseph and his coat of many colors? Do you remember that story? In Genesis 37, verse 1, it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father, father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generation of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zippah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Hello. Following that yet. He loved him more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around, and it bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you in indeed to dreams and for his words? Then he dreamed another dream and told his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said what is this dream that you have dreamed shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you and his brothers were jealous of him but his father kept saying in mind now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem and Israel said to Joseph are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem come I will send you to them and he said to him here I am so he said to him, now go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? He says, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. We will, say, we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him to the pit where in the wilderness, but not lay a hand on him. Then he might rescue out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. The robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat and looking up they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from the Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh and the way they're carrying it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for his. He is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. 
When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This is what we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Mm. This story is important. Number one, Joseph was the favorite. Joseph was the favorite son. He is the one that was called beloved. And because of that, everybody hated him. You see, he had something they didn't have. He had the light. He could dream. He could see. Something else, though, as he had something that only a father could give him, that robe of many colors. You know what's interesting about this robe? A lot of people think that it was a robe. That's not how they did materials patched together to make different colors over the robe. That's not how they did things. That's not how Jewish people did things. They would not sew together two different kinds of material. That's not what they did. It was all one piece. That meant this robe was really expensive because it would have been really hard to make, really hard to find that kind of material. And if it was many colors but one piece, that only meant that it changed colors every time the light hit it. You saw the rainbow as he walked by. You saw the spectrums as he walked by. It was brilliant. It was bright. It was luminous. It was on fire. When the light hit his robe, it, it basically told everybody this. Not only was he the favorite, but he is now the heir. The youngest is now in the front line. It was a robe of royalty. It was not just a coat. He said, here, have fun, take that. No, it was a symbol of royalty to the family. It was the stamp of approval from the father that this young man is now the front in line to get everything. Uh, jealousy is just bound to happen, right? It's just bound to happen. Then, of course, the dreams that he had. The dreams were so vivid, so real. He never stopped dreaming. He went all the way to the, the palace dreaming, and then he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. This man had the light. If you keep reading on further, you find out that everything he touched, he succeeded. 
So much so that Pharaoh said, why don't you go ahead and come on up here and be my second in command? No one will do anything in Egypt without your approval. He wasn't just a boy. He was the future. Because he carried the light. And he didn't let his circumstances kill his light. I don't know about you, but if I was sold by my own family to go be a slave, it might have diminished my light a little bit. But that is not what happened. Maybe you're struggling with something like that. Maybe you feel like everything's trying to come against you. Everything's trying to suppress the joy in you. Everything's trying to push down the light in you. I'm telling you, you don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. You can determine how you see things. You have the light. You have the brilliance. Joseph was wrapped in something that his brothers never had. It was a symbol that he knew God. And even though they were supposed to, they didn't have the right perspective of God. Even though they had lived longer and were much older and should have been wiser, they'd let the cares of the world and their responsibilities become what determined their perspective. And because they didn't have the proper perspective, they didn't know how to see their brother. They didn't know that the future meant he was going to be their deliverer. They didn't know that he was going to be second in command and made sure they survived the famine. They didn't know until later on and they see him and he's got a different name. He's got an Egyptian name. He's got the seal of Pharaoh on him. He's wearing a new robe. He's still carrying the light. That's why the identity part is the key. If you don't know who you are, you will never be able to walk in the light. You have to know who you are. You're beloved. That's what Star preached months back about the fact that you are the beloved one. You cannot convince me that God doesn't love me. You can't convince me. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care what happens. You can't convince me that God doesn't love me. Because my circumstances doesn't determine whether or not God loves me. Where I come from, where I'm going, what happens in life does not determine how much God loves me. Whether I'm rich or poor does not determine if God loves me. God loves me. And he loves you. And if you would just know who you are, that you are a beloved son and daughter, it doesn't matter what title you have on this planet. You are still beloved You are still his favorite. And you have the same coat that I have. But do you know you have it? Do you know that you carry it? 
Romans 6.10, throw it up. What does it say? It says, for death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He's talking about Christ. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That is the wrong scripture. I gave you the wrong one. Why did I get? That's Romans 6.10. Okay, I'll just reference it from my own brain. I guess I forgot where it's at. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, what? Dwells in us. That's really hard to say. Because we act like Nothing important dwells in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The same light that shined on the entire world when he came to earth dwells in us. The same fire that burned everything up, dwells in us. But if you're consumed by what this world tells you to be consumed with, you will never see past that darkness. You have to know who you are. You have to know what dwells on the inside of you. It's not simply just saying a prayer And you're there. That's great. You'll probably go to heaven because God is wonderful. But I want to know, are you going to shine? And are you going to radiate to the person next to you? Are you going to teach your kids how beautiful the experience with God is? Or are you going to teach them that your circumstances determine your joy factor, your passion gauge. I don't want anything in life to determine how much I'm in love with God or how much joy I carry or how much love I share with someone else. I want everything that is in me to be so devoted to him that it matters not what's going on around us. Worst thing, I can come back up. So I have a question for you. How do you dispel, how do you get rid of the darkness? That's the question. How do we get rid of the darkness? I'm going to use a really big word. Are you ready? Darkness has no ontology. What does that mean? It means that it's not measurable. Did you know that? Did you know you can't measure darkness? Hello? Did you know you cannot measure darkness? There is no different shades of dark. No. There's different shades of color, 
which is light. But there is no different shades of dark. It has no ontology. It doesn't really exist, is what it means. Do you know that? Darkness is just emptiness. It doesn't exist. Darkness is the absence of light. Go look it up. Science people, y'all are science more smarter than me, I promise. But it's there. You'll find it. Darkness has no ontology. It doesn't exist. It has no beginning, no end. It's like, it's not real. What is real is the light. And when light is not present, darkness is there. So how do you get rid of the darkness? How do you dispel it? You become the light. You become the light. Let me give you an example. This might be a horrible example, but I'm going to share it anyways. Last night, I went to our neighbor's house. They were having a graduation party for their son. He just graduated from AM Corpus. I said, oh, man, that's cool. I went there a couple years. I'll go say hi. Meet the family. And, of course, you know, it's typical Hispanic family, right? Barbecue, rice, beans, tortillas. Praise the Lord. Y'all can play whenever you're ready. Say something. Give me something. Because it's about music, so I need something. And, you know, they're, they're playing their music. And it, it's, it's, we're in Bishop, Texas now. So every, everybody's country, right? Just everybody's country. We got rodents. We got tarantulas. It's great. Everybody's country. Killed three tarantulas this week already. It's wonderful. And so, you know, a typical Hispanic family, we're outside. It's hot. I don't know why we're outside, but we're outside eating. And, you know, they've got their alcohol and the Cokes. And, of course, I drink like four Cokes, so I'm good. And then they had a live country band that was going to start at 8 o'clock. I was like, oh, live music. I love live music. I'm a musician. It's fun. And even though I don't like, I hate country. Just, just so you know, I absolutely hate country music. Don't diss me. I will slay you in three different ways. I hate country music. It's just horrible music in my mind. It's like country and Tejano. Just get rid of it. Jesus, please. Why you created these people with these minds. And they got this live country band, and man, I kid you not, dude, that bass player was legit, dude. I was like, whoa. I'm gonna see who's playing bass tomorrow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rag on him. <laughs> I think you know him. And I think you know the lead singer. So, because they're all from Bishop. They're all from Bishop. And the guy started singing. I was like, man, he's got a good voice. But they're doing a sound check, right? And I'm listening to them do their sound check. And I'm, I kid you not, I'm sitting right here and the speaker is like right there. <laughs> okay. I'm hearing everything. And I love it. Because I like loud. And I'm eating my barbecue. And I'm listening. Just like, what the heck is this song about? You know, I hate country music. It's always horrible, depressing songs, you know? Yes. And I kid you not, the song was about a guy who lost his girlfriend. She died because she got addicted to crystal meth. And it's the whole story about it, like in the song. 
It's like, who makes up this stuff, man? This is horrible. And he's, I mean, he's going after it. He's singing it, man. The whole band's going. I'm like, wow. But there was something odd about the song about halfway through that I was like, I recognize this. And it's puzzling me. And it's puzzling me. And it's puzzling me. I'm like, how do I recognize this song? I have never heard this song in my life because I would remember. It's very shocking lyrics, you know. And then I started paying attention to the chord progression. I started paying more attention to the melody. And I said, no way. It's the same chord progression and the same melody on the chorus as I can only imagine. What? Yeah, your face is like, what? I'm kid you not. I went back and I said, no, that can't be. I went over again, just watching, paying attention. So they're singing, I can only imagine, but they don't know it. I go later, and I look up the song, and it's a real song by some weird Whiskey River guy. That's his name. Never heard of that before. There's a river called Whiskey? I don't know. And it's the chord progression for I can only imagine. One of the most famous Christian songs ever. <laughs> I'm like, that's the difference between the light and the dark. I'm sitting there and I realize we're all the same, but some of us know we have a robe on. Some of us know where our light comes from. You see, all they're singing about is the dark and all the stuff that's happened to them and the, the trauma and the pain and, oh, it's therapeutic, right, because you're getting it out. No, 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 you're, you're giving honor to something that is trying to kill you. I am trying to dispel that darkness. You see, it's like, uh, like y'all's band, right? I love screamo music, if you didn't know that. I love it. It's awesome can't scream like y'all but whatever and when I was a youth pastor we had a lot of kids that were into that music and they created these bands the screamo bands right and I even recorded a couple of albums it was fun it was great I love it but it was so interesting when they would go play the only places they were ever invited to go play was bars because that's the only places that music was allowed because to them to most churches the style was the darkness it has nothing to do with style it's the heart. I just listened to, I can only imagine, in the most depressing form I've ever heard. It has nothing to do with style. Same chords, same melody, different heart. Didn't, he didn't know he was singing into the darkness. He probably doesn't even know that song is about the light. <laughs> he doesn't even know. But when you change the heart behind the issue... When you change the heart behind what you're delivering, it changes everything. That's perspective. That is how you see things. That is your eye. If your whole eye is dark, your body is dark. He couldn't see the fact that he's playing a worship song. And he's crying about his pain in the process. 
he couldn't see the light. How do you dispel the darkness? You have to become the light. You have to become what God has called you to become. Let's stand. You have to know who you are. You have to know that you're beloved. You have to know that your identity is not measured by this world's standards. Your identity is measured by God's standards. And he loves you to a degree that I can't even put into words. So he only could display it by showing us. And then he only was able to tell us by saying, no greater love has anyone than to lay down his life for his friends. Do you know how much light you have to have on the inside of you to lay down your life for your friends? The light of life. same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of me. It's where it lives. That's where his home is, on the inside of us. But I don't think we're yet convinced that we are the light. So I need you to do something. But only do it if you mean it. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to say these words. Well, again, only do it if you mean it. Say, I am the light. Because you are the light. And you are in me. And I am in you I am the light because you are the light and you are in me and I am in you say I am the light because you are the light because I am in you and you are in me I am the light because you are the light. I am in you and you are in me. Father, I thank you so much for the realization of who we are. We are the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill not to hide, not to cower in fear, not to worry and doubt about what's coming or what could happen or where we're going. No, no, no. We are here to illuminate the planet. We are here to burn. We are here to be radiant. We are here to show your brilliance. Lord, I pray that we become everything you've called us to become. I pray that you help us show your brilliance in us. We are your representatives here. We are your ambassadors here. We are the light because you are the light. 
And we say thank you, Lord, that let your light shine in us. Let your glory shine all around us. us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.